Jim Sunholm, my dear friend and colleague and pastor who died last Friday, once told me some things about preaching. I was in my last year of seminary. I called him to ask him how he went about putting together a sermon. He was, after all, a craftsman in the pulpit. I thought he could give me a few pointers. He laughed. Well, first of all, he said, I tell my congregation that they pay me for every day except Sunday. On Sunday, I work for free. That way, he said, I can say whatever I want to say. And he did. He also told me that every sermon has a context. That context is not just the scripture from which we preach, but also the lives of the people listening from the pews into which we preach. Today, Jim is gone. And there's no one today in any pulpit. Fitting, I think. No one can take his place. Today, we're not sitting in the pews. We're sitting at home. We're gathered virtually in the midst of a viral pandemic, watching Facebook Live, and nothing seems real. That's our context. We're all wondering when this thing is going to end. We are together and we are apart at the same time. We keep a respectful, sometimes fearful distance from one another. We wash our hands as if our life depends on it, and it does. We are still getting used to the incongruity of a beautiful morning and a deadly contagion hiding in plain sight. In downtown Seattle, the streets that are normally packed with cars and people are empty. Fourth Avenue during rush hour looks like the canyon of the walking dead. Stores are closed. Restaurants are shut down. People have lost their jobs. The grocery stores are filled with desperate people and no toilet paper. Buses, planes, and trains are empty. And we can't even bury our dead. Social distancing and social media have found each other in this pandemic. But we are finding out that virtual intimacy isn't really all that intimate. No hugs, no handshakes. We're flattening the curve to buy time for a vaccine, we are told, but there's not much time. For some, time has already run out. Most of us have never dealt with anything like this before, a threat that is invisible but real. Generations before us have faced something like this, but not most of us. Our lives have changed, at least for a while. For those of us in this church, a viral fear has combined with painful memory 
and fresh grief. A year ago, we tragically lost our friend Blake Stromberg. And on Friday, our friend Jim died after a long struggle. So we looked to the scriptures for comfort. Psalm 23 would be good to hear. Give me a God who walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death and gets me through to the other side. Give me the God of Psalm 91, who promises that those who live in the shelter of the Most High, those who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will deliver you, the psalmist says, from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. You shall not fear the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noonday because you have the Lord as your refuge. No ill shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. Or give me the promise of Romans 8, that nothing in death or in life will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what I want to hear. But with Jim, I preach the texts I am given. At first glance, there would seem to be little comfort in today's text from the narrative lectionary for the fifth Sunday of Lent. They are more dark and ominous than reassuring. These are not texts you would choose to read in the midst of a pandemic. There's talk by the prophet Zechariah about what he calls the day of the Lord, when mountains will break apart. It is a day of reckoning, a day the Apostle Paul says will come like a burglar breaking into your house at night and there will be no escape. That's not terribly reassuring. Jesus tells his disciples that the temple and everything we thought would last forever will come tumbling down. The sun and moon will go dark. Stars will fall from the sky. This is the language of an apocalypse, of hidden things, terrifying things. And when you are already terrified, you don't need to hear about other terrible things that will keep you awake at night. Don't need to hear about a God who settles scores with a vengeance. But look carefully at the text. There is something very hopeful in the midst of all the gloom of these texts. Two words, wake up, wake up. Don't want to be caught sleeping in your underwear when it all comes down. When the master comes back, when you hear the key in the door, make sure you're ready to throw a party. Jesus and Paul talk about waking up. Be alert and be prepared. Be ready for what comes. 
They're not talking, talking about stocking up on toilet paper and bottled water or building a bunker so you, so you can survive the zombie apocalypse. They're talking about staying awake in a world that has already gone to sleep. What John Weborg, my teacher and friend, calls alive in Christ and awake to life. Wake up. In 1973, a friend of mine, Charlie Peterson, and I drove my 1962 Volkswagen Beetle to Chicago. We left early one summer morning. In the back seat, we had packed a small tent, a couple of sleeping bags, duffel bags, and enough uh, trail mix to last through the Black Hills. On the second night out, we stopped somewhere in Montana. It was dark. We were tired. We had crossed the Continental Divide and we were desperately looking for a place to sleep, somewhere to pitch our tent. We pulled off the road in the dark, set up our tent, unrolled our sleeping bags, and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, we were startled awake. We were terrified. The ground shook under us. There was a loud rumbling outside the tent. And then the blast of a horn, a train. The ground shook for a long time. And then all went quiet. We lay there for a while in the silence, our hearts still pounding. Eventually, we got back to sleep, and the next morning when we got up and went outside, we discovered that we had pitched our tent 10 feet from the Great Northern Railroad tracks. A night freight had rolled past, and we thought it was rolling over us. For much of the world, the experience of these last few weeks has been something like waking up in the middle of the night in a tent next to a railroad track. We have been shaken out of our sleep. We're trembling in the dark, wondering what is going on. There are two kinds of awake. One kind of awake is when you're too scared to go to sleep. The other kind of awake is when you're too excited to go to sleep. There's an old bedtime prayer, which many of you know. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. So far, so good. Then comes this. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. I still remember the existential terror those words brought to me as a five-year-old. Most five-year-olds don't have existential terror, but I did. That may say something about me, but that's another story. I tried to stay awake because I was afraid. But there's another version of that prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, thy child to keep. 
Thy love go with me all the night and wake me with the morning light. No ex existential terror, no dread, just hope and the anticipation of another day. There are two kinds of awake. One is full of fear, the other is full of hope. Wake up, God has given us a promise that death will not prevail in the end, that death will not win, God wins. In a world of dark fears, love and hope win. The text for this day can be read with dread or with hope. How do you hear them? Paul tells the Thessalonians, my beloved, hear those words, my beloved. You are children of the light, not of darkness. You are children of the day, not of the night. Don't be afraid is the subscript. Stay awake. Put on faith and love and the hope of salvation. Whatever comes, you will be okay. And then comes verse 9. God has not destined us for wrath. We were not created to be afraid, in other words. God has not destined us for wrath, but to be delivered through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, alive or dead, we live in him. Doesn't matter whether we're on this side of the grave or the other, we have nothing to fear, nothing to lose, and we have much to hope for. Wake up. Don't be afraid to go to sleep. Will you frame your life with fear or with hope, especially in these difficult days? Don't be afraid of death or live in fear of what might come. The love and mercy of God holds you and protects you no matter what comes. The last time I saw Jim Sunholm, he was awake. He was not fearful, but hopeful and grateful. Jim was not afraid of what was to come. He had come home to die and he was at peace. I've had a good life, he told me. I have so much to be thankful for. As we move through these difficult days together, don't be afraid. Awake or asleep, don't be afraid. The Lord is with you and your deliverance is coming. Amen.